0: If you take a minute and think about your circle of friends and family, I'm going to guess that you know someone who sings or plays an instrument really well. Now, maybe they've performed professionally and maybe they haven't. Talent is all around us, but only the very few achieve stardom. It's a long and winding road made up of talent, connections, and most of all, persistence. One of the area's most promising singer-songwriters is in the spotlight today. Hi, this is Candy Oteri. Welcome to the story behind her success. Her name is Lainey Dion. She's a proud Berkeley grad with an interesting story about how she graduated from one of the most prestigious music schools in the world in record time. And you'll hear that in this interview. To meet her is to be in the company of someone who just lights up the room. And make no mistake about it, she has certainly known adversity in her life. But her mindset remains positive. This singer-songwriter is driven to achieve. She is the 2020 recipient of the Unsigned Only competition in the Adult Contemporary category. She's also won second place twice in the New England Songwriting Competition. Laney was nominated for Best Solo Acoustic Act, Best Americana Act, and Best College Act at the Worcester Music Awards, and Best Breakthrough Artist at the famous Rhode Island Motif Awards. She's even been a finalist in the International Songwriting Competition. As we sat down to get to know one another, I quickly caught her energy. Her smile is contagious. Her passion for her music is obvious. So I started out the interview by asking her what came first, her singing or her songwriting? I sang in the bathtub when
1: I was little, so I'd say that. Is there a story about that? Did that? Is that what your parents told you? No, I mean, I always sing Charlotte Church for some reason. Like, you would not guess that, but, but yeah. Yeah, I used to really like opera. Weird. <laughs> Did you sing when you were a little girl in school?
0: Were you that kid who would raise their hand and say, I'll do it? No, I was so scared. <laughs>
1: Really? What would happen? Were you just a closet singer then? I never did like chorus. Like I never did solos or anything like that. I was just bright red, very shy kid. Nope. (laughs) No for me. What about your guitar playing? Talk to me a little bit about that. My dad used to play chords on his hand and I would strum when I was very little. And then I picked it up really when I was 12. But ever since then, it's been my, my partner in crime whenever I perform. Let's talk about the love of the guitar. Your very first guitar. Do you still have it? And what I, was it? I do. I do. It was like one of those thrift shop, no name guitars. Uh, it was called a Roy Clark. I don't even think they make them anymore. <laughs>
0: yeah, but you still
1: have it. And nobody oh, yeah. ever forgets their first guitar. No. <laughs> do you ever take it down and
0: play it just a little bit? Mm, it sounds pretty bad. So, <laughs> <laughs> Who gave you that first guitar?
1: My dad. Do you play any other instruments or is it the guitar and you? Yeah, so I got into Berkeley on piano and I played that since I was six and I was classically trained and then going to Berkeley, they're very jazz influenced and I was like, no, none of this anymore and switched to voice. And then I played Irish fiddle when I was little as well, yeah. Okay, this is blowing my mind. So Irish (laughs) fiddle, how did that come into your life? I did Irish step dancing. You look at me, you see the green eyes, the freckles and the red hair. But no, I'm only 5% Irish, but my parents think we're 100% Irish. We act like it. But yes, yeah, so I did Irish step dancing, fell in love with that and wanted to play fiddle. Any fiddle on any of your songs are you playing? No, <laughs> I don't think I could play it today.
0: <laughs> Let's go back to the piano, because right now I'm so proud of myself. I'm taking piano lessons, something that I threw away for a long, long time. And the piano is my friend now? When I first came back to the piano, it was like, womp, womp, womp. oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm
1: really enjoying playing. Tell me what happens to you when you play any instrument. Honestly, I think piano is different from any other instrument I play. When I want to de-stress, I sit down and I play piano. I compose on piano as well. So, but nothing like vocal songwriting. Just you know, kind of piano sonata kind of things. But when I play guitar, that's more of like an extension of me, of my emotions. Piano is a de-stressor.
0: We all need someone who is our biggest fan. Someone who says, hey, you are really good at that. Way back in the beginning. Who has that person always been for you? I think my
1: dad. (laughs) My dad really urged me to get into Berkeley. My mom really urged me to get into piano. Don't get me wrong. My mom's great, too. But my dad's a musician, so he really, really got me there. Do you think that he recognized your talent early on? I think my mom more so did. I think my dad, it was just kind of like a bonding kind of thing. My mom was like, you cannot give up on this. Your latest album is called Self-Titled, and I had a chance to
0: listen to a couple of songs. The lead single, the first song, is called Hey London. Tell me the story behind that song.
1: I met a guy online, and I traveled to Europe to go meet him for the first time. I know, I know, you're giving me a face, I know. (laughs) I could have died, but I didn't. And we dated for a year. And then while I was there, I got accepted into a songwriting program in France where I met a British guy. So I left the European guy, (laughs) dated the British guy and went to go live with him for a month in England. And uh, it just didn't didn't turn out. Therefore, Hey, London was born. You know, I'm going to guess that your relationships have also affected your music. True. Oh, yeah. Every single song on the album is about a different relationship, whether it be good or bad. Most of it is bad, <laughs>
0: but yes. <laughs> All right, so let's just take a minute and listen to a piece of Hey London by Lainey Dion. Hey, story from one of your favorite songs on this CD? Or is it impossible to say you have a favorite song because they're your children?
1: (laughs) I mean, they are my children. But I would say Wake Up Call is probably one of my favorites, just because it's the most recent. I dated a guy for four years. We lived together. And he ghosted me for about three days. And on my birthday, at the end of those three days, he broke up with me via text. And so I wrote this really angsty crazy song about it. I mention his name secretly in the song, but it's one of my faves.
0: And if he happens to be listening to this podcast, we're still pissed at you. <laughs> and here's just
1: a piece of the song. Wake Up Call by Lainey Dione.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm sick of the lies. You do this every time. Award-winning actor had me fooled. It was fine. Should've listened to Mom, read the signs on the wall. You never really cared about me at all. Now it's my birthday weekend and you'd rather
0: When I listen to you sing, I'm reminded of the first time that I heard Vanessa Carlton sing A Thousand Miles. I think there's a beautiful tenderness in your voice. It's very authentic. Tell us who your musical role models have been.
1: Wow, I love that, Vanessa Carlton. I'd say I really like artists that... Probably not a lot of people have heard of. Gabrielle Applin is one of my favorites. She just really speaks to my soul. Another one is Sigrid, Charlotte Lawrence, Maggie Rogers. But I mean, you got to bring it back to the classic big people coming in like Taylor Swift. I like a lot of women in music right now. What's the best
0: song you've ever written? What's the song where you look back on it, at least at this point in your career, and say that is a beautifully crafted song?
1: Honestly, when you first said that, Immediately, I thought of Cumbria, the song on my album, because that's the only song in the album that I wrote by myself. Everybody else had co-writers. So that one's a little bit more close to my heart there. Let's listen to a piece of that song. We knew we only had a
2: day To figure this out All of our doubt And we threw it away Far and down To watch this play out When words lose their weight But you say It's for the best But you say It's for the best And you say It's for the best But I don't feel it I don't
0: You record a song that you've written and you breathe life into those lyrics and then you listen back to the song. Are you critical or are you like, wow, that's really good?
1: Ooh, I mean, if I'm writing by myself, usually whatever I write first comes out. That's it. Final copy, we don't touch it, that's like a raw emotion. But if I'm writing with someone else and we have like a goal in mind, we want to write a song about this concept or we want to have this kind of emotion, it's more of a you can go back and revise kind of a situation. (laughs) I've been spending an awful lot of time in Nashville interviewing country music icons for a new
0: series that I'm doing called Country Music Success Stories. And songwriters like Kent Blazy, who wrote seven number one songs for Garth Brooks, including his first single, If Tomorrow Never Comes, has piles of notebooks and journals right on his dining room table where I interviewed him. And he says they're filled with thoughts and verses. Some are completed and some are not. And then there was a woman named Karen Staley, who's written so many hit records, lots of them for Faith Hill, one you'll know called Hey Baby, Let's Go to Vegas. She says, and I wanted to tell you this story, that she gets these ideas for titles and for lyrics, and she literally runs to write them down immediately because she believes that she has to catch them right away before somebody else gets
1: them. Have you ever heard of that? She thinks it's almost divine. I can see that. Whenever something comes to my head, I have to write it down immediately on my phone or wherever I'm at, yeah. Or I'll voice memo it. Sometimes I'll be in the middle. It always happens in the shower. You know when you get those shower thoughts? I'll just have to like get out real quick, Text it in there and, and
0: call it a day. You know, you've been talking about co-writing songs, and a lot of people don't understand that there's a real discipline to co-writing. Tell me how it works for you when you're writing with someone
1: else. Yeah, so usually we pick like a topic or we'll already have kind of like a title in place of what we'll go about, and then it depends on the person you're writing with. But it's very back and forth. Like, oh, I'm going to bounce this off of you. Eh, I don't really like that. Let's go this route. And we usually have like a background track that we're already set with that kind of has the mood of it, so it's pretty cool.
0: How does it work in Massachusetts versus how it works in Nashville? Because in Nashville, a co-write, if you're in the room, when the song is being written, you're on the song.
1: Yeah. So I wrote the whole album except for one song in Nashville with the Nashville writers clause, basically. Whereas if you're in the room, you get a credit. And I apply that here too. a lot of people don't. And I don't like it because I mean, if you're in the room and you're you're given some feedback you're part of the creative yeah, process, you know, you might not have gotten there without me saying that or without someone else saying something else, you know. So I like the Nashville clause.
0: How would you like to hear someone else singing your song?
1: Actually, the last song in the album, which is the last single I released called I Love You to Death, was almost sold to Selena Gomez, which would have been so cool. but. It was in the running for a couple months, didn't make it, and it went right back to me, and I still love that song anyways. (laughs) And, you know, I've heard that
0: sometimes an artist will put a hold on a song, and then you can't do anything about it, and it
1: dies on the vine. Yeah, yeah. My song was on hold for a couple months, and that's why the album was a little bit later than usual, but it all worked out. (laughs) It all worked out. What if someone
0: said, ooh, that song, Hey London, by Lainey Dione." I want to sing that song. And that's like somebody
1: really famous. How would you feel about that? So I actually played a private gig where somebody was like, oh, we didn't even think that we could book you because we thought you'd be famous because we heard the song Hey London. And I was like, oh, my God, no, you could totally book me. That's crazy. But yeah, yeah, it it would be insane for people to really look at me like that. And you wouldn't mind getting the royalties from somebody really famous singing your song, right? Oh, yeah, no.
0: Let's go back to the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what it was like growing up in your house.
1: So I grew up in Smithfield, Rhode Island. It's a small little town and, you know, the small estate. It was nice. I mean, there's not like a huge music scene there, which is actually kind of good because it's easier to be seen and easier to get some gigs because there's not a lot to work with. <laughs> right, right. But yeah.
0: Was music always playing in your house? I mean, you said your father's a musician, so talk a little bit about that.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, whether we liked it or not, dad would be in the basement playing some old 70s lick on his guitar. But uh, <laughs> my mom liked Do more not of the- make fun of the 70s. <laughs> I will not have it. My mom liked more of the Karen Carpenter, Carol King kind of vibe. So those stuff were, those were always playing. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about your experience at Berkeley College of Music. Magna cum laude, I heard, pretty darn good. But I also heard that it wasn't easy for you to make college happen. Tell me that story.
1: Berkeley's very expensive, as people know, and I couldn't really afford it. My dad made an agreement with me that he would pay for one year and then I'd have to take student loans out in the other year and I'd have to try to get my bachelor degree in two years by going fall, spring, summer, fall, spring, summer at 22 credits a semester, which they almost didn't allow me to do, but I had to fight for it and I was able to get a degree in music business management with a minor in audio production and engineering. Congratulations. Thank you. Tough stuff. Tell me
0: what happens to you when you perform?
1: Ooh, I get really nervous right before I perform. Like, oh my God, is everything gonna go great? Is it gonna be okay, you know? And then as soon as I get out there, it's like a different feeling hits you. It's almost like an outer body experience, I think. It's just a calmness that's just cool. It's a connection with the crowd. It's a connection with music. I can't even describe it. (laughs) Speaking of that, what do you hope
0: your audience experiences during one of your concerts? How do you want them to walk away
1: feeling? It depends on whatever song I'm singing, but there's a lot of sad songs on the album. And when people hear it, they cry. And that makes me feel like I did my job. Not that I like to make people cry, you know, but like people can connect with you, can connect with whatever you're going through and feel like they're understood. And that's what I want people to feel like. I want to feel understood and I want people to feel understood. You know, the pandemic has really sidelined
0: performers because their venues are closed and people are not going out as much as they used to. Unfortunately, things are starting to open up again. But how did you get through that period? Really tough.
1: I had a couple of health issues, so it was like very scary for me. So I didn't do any indoor shows. I only did a couple of outdoor shows once a week. And that really kept me going at Country Kitchen in Smithfield. They're my lifesavers. Now that I'm vaccinated, I'm excited to get back to doing more shows. And it's going to be a good time. I mean, it was really crazy, though. Health issues. Yes. What happened? So I had meningitis, which is like crazy, right? Like no one gets that. But wow. How yeah, did I, that happen? I actually had it while I was recording the demos and writing the songs for the album. And I had to leave the studio to go get hospitalized <laughs> in Nashville. Yeah, it was crazy. But um, I can't leave until this song is over. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, that's how I was. Because I thought I'm just having a headache. Like, I'll, I'll get through yeah. it. Yeah, and I had to fly home. The
0: days of being signed to a record label and having their people do your publicity are gone. But the digital age also gives artists a worldwide audience that many, many years ago they couldn't get. And there's a lot of freedom in that. Am I right?
1: Yes. It's much easier to get your music out there. At the same time, it's so oversaturated that you might not even get heard. It is easier in a sense, but it's also harder in a sense, you know? When you are not singing and you're not writing, tell us what your favorite pastime is. Ooh, I have two little dogs that I absolutely love. I love to walk them, sit on the couch with them, chill with them. <laughs> I also like to paint. I mean, most of my life is music, so there's really no downtime for anything else. <laughs>
0: are there any words of wisdom, Laney, that you could pass along to an artist behind you, somebody who doesn't have as much
1: experience as you do, maybe some lessons you learned the hard way? Always be confident in who you are and always be kind to the people around you. I think that a lot of artists feel like they have to kind of bulldoze their way into certain scenarios or see competition and start to get less confident in themselves and then act a certain way. And just don't do that. <laughs> you know, be confident in who you are. Be confident in being kind to
0: other people. I know this may sound a little bit crazy, but over the many years of interviewing artists and singers in particular, I have learned that they visualized their success very early on in their lives. They saw themselves doing what they loved. Did this happen for you?
1: I'd say maybe when I was like 17 or 18, I knew that like I'm a very driven person. I get what I want. That was all I could see for me. So that's what I'm still striving for today. You just talked about striving. How do you hold on to your dreams when things get
0: tough? When you get that rejection, when Selena Gomez is not going to record your record and you were hoping that she would, or when the venue closes and the pandemic comes, how do you stay positive?
1: I don't know if that's really been an issue for me. I mean, things haven't happened and that's sad, but like you always just keep working. It's just like, okay, moving on to the next opportunity, moving on to the next thing. Like you don't let anything really get you down. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck. Last
0: three questions we ask everyone who sits where you are today. And thank you so much, Lainey, again for coming and telling us your story. The first one is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received in your life? And do you use it regularly?
1: I'd say probably to let things go. And it's hard for me to do that. What's meant to be will happen. I have a hard time not letting things go. I just need to like make it happen. But sometimes it's just not in the cards for you. If there's an obstacle in your path, how do you get around it? I push through it. <laughs> if there's an obstacle in my path, I mean, I usually don't let things stop me. If I really want something, I'll really, really go for it no matter what. But you, you got to keep the vision in place. You got to stay focused.
0: Let's flash forward 10 years from now. In your heart of hearts, in your greatest dream and your greatest hope, what do you hope to see for your life, for your career?
1: I hope to be successful in music. And that doesn't necessarily mean becoming famous. I just want to be able to be happy in what I'm doing and make a living out of what I'm doing and to touch other people's souls as well. And that leads me to my
0: final question, because, you know, I think success is a big word. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and I would also guess that if you and I were to be sitting here 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and I asked you this question, you'd have a different answer than the one you have right now. What does success mean to you?
1: I think success means being able to live a happy life, and a comfortable life. Not having to worry about the small things or the things that a lot of people in this country have to worry about, but it's being happy and being content and being okay. Lainey Diona, I want to say thank you so much for being this week's guest on
0: The Story Behind Her Success, and best of luck in your success as a singer-songwriter. Thank you so much for having me. And that's The Story Behind Her Success for this week. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you have someone in mind, please let me know. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, -Y O-T-E-R-R-Y.com you can email me right off the website. Follow me on social and please tell your friends and family about the show and leave a review if you would be so kind. And if you are listening to the story behind her success on one of our radio affiliates, thank you for listening to this station and thank you for spending time with me. I'm truly grateful. I'll have a new story for you next week. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise.